Hey everybody, welcome to the No Film School podcast for the week of August 11th, 2022. I'm Charles Hain. I'm a help filmmaker. I am here with Todd Blankenship, cinematographer. Hey, how's it going, everybody? I'm here with Gigi Hawkins, filmmaker. Hey there. And I'm here with George Edelman, editor-in-chief of No Film School. Hello. This week, we are going to be talking about uh, the end of HBO Max already. Seems too soon. We knew some of the streamers weren't going to survive, but this one seems shockingly fast. And then we're going to be talking about Nope, a movie that opened three weeks ago. And we were like, is that too late to talk about a movie? And it's like, no, because now we can talk about it, assuming you've all seen it. We can say spoilers. And then if you haven't seen it, hopefully this will motivate you all to go see it because you should all see Nope, Nope is good. So that is this week on the No Film School podcast. Our first story this week, already, already, the HBO Max story gets crazier. So last week, as we talked about, and as everybody in entertainment was talking about, HBO Max was like Warner Brothers, which is part of the whole HBO empire, recently purchased by Discovery Media. Discovery Media was, of course, rolling in money from cable carriage fees. Like they own a bunch of cable channels, which, you know, get money whether or not the stuff is good. And then they made some stuff that was, you know, lower in budget. Ancient Aliens, 90 Day Fiance, cheaper shows to produce. So CEO of that company managed to talk AT&T into unloading HBO Warner Media onto Discovery. And last week they were like, hey, there are these six movies we're going to take off the platform with no warning, which is like, fine, it's American Pickle, whatever. But then they're also like, we spent $90 million making Batgirl and uh, we're just not going to release it because if we don't release it, we can take a tax write off as part of this merger. This is like merger-specific math. In most years, it is cheaper for a studio to actually just finish releasing the movie. Like even Sony with Morbius, like they prop someone at Sony probably knew Morbius was Morbius. But you got to see if you can get any money out of the release. The second release, they were just being suckered by Twitter. But that first release, they were trying to make some money back. But during a merger, I think you can get tax benefits out of it. So they're like, you know, we're just going to pretend Batgirl's not a thing. What if Batgirl wasn't Batgirl? I wish that they were like, actually, this movie isn't up to the standards of cinema that we'd like, so we're not going to release it. But now hearing that it's a tax write-off, I'm like, oh. Yeah, I honestly, uh, I didn't know that that was the, that was the smoking gun was the tax write-off thing. I haven't really, I've, I've, I've been kind of on set and like in a vacuum for the last few days, so like I haven't really been super up to date on this, but that's, in, you know, I, I kind of just assumed they just decided it wasn't very good or something and they just didn't want to put well, it out. Well, it's tricky because there's nobody with leverage to fight for it. So the the numbers have come out on the test marketing and Batgirl is the test numbers were identical to Black Adam, but Black Adam stars The Rock and The Rock has a lot of clout and not releasing a Rock movie would probably make Rock not want to work with you anymore. So Black Adam has the exact same numbers as Batgirl but is coming out, but Batgirl's not coming out. It is fascinating to hear Todd that because that's part of why we do the podcast is because we know a lot of people are on set and missing stuff. The whole podcast, this weekly episode exists so people who missed certain things can get filled in on the whys and the hows. When we were watching this unfold day to day in real time in the virtual No Film School newsroom, I almost threw out, I'm giving myself credit here, I threw out the tax break thing almost immediately because there's just no way that the movie was bad enough, bad in quote air quotes, that they were like, we can't release this. It's terrible. 
Because we've seen the stuff that studios will release, right? <laughs> like, there's right. no, like, there's pretty much no, like, even if it was the room level bad, there would still probably be a lot of effort put into, like, cleaning it up. They haven't even pulled the Flash thing that has the guy who's, like, kidnapping people and has completely lost his mind. That, that guy who plays the Flash guy. So the pulling of something from the release slate is really a calculated business move. Now, there's a lot of interesting, and I'm no tax law expert by any stretch, but there's a lot of interesting implications. Like a lot of times the loss on a movie is advantageous to one of these conglomerates. Like, for example, when you have a company as massive as AT&T and all of its subsidiaries or whatever, whoever is the parent, I don't know anymore. I don't think it's AT&T anymore now that Discovery Plus is involved, et cetera. When you have a company that big and you're making money all kinds of ways, and then you make this big expensive movie, and we all know making a movie isn't really a get-rich-quick scheme, right? It's not a great avenue to earning big profits. It's a big cost. You're writing off your losses. I mean, you're writing off your gains, right? Somewhere else. You're making all this money somewhere else, right? You're like, yeah, we, we lost like $200 million on John Carter of Mars for Disney. You know, that, there's an advantage there built in for the company. So in a way, they just took the loss immediately. They didn't spend more on marketing it. And we also know that marketing a movie is a massive new cost that comes after the fact. And they just made this new deal. And they basically decided like, yeah, we're going to stop. Like it was the first domino to fall in the news line of events that showed us that the, the, the direction was HBO Max, eh, it's going to be what is now called a tile within Discovery+. Plus. Now, the other funny thing about this was the meme that circulated because a slide leaked from their presentation where they broke down, and I'll, I'll include the image in the show notes so people can see it in the article and you can look at it, but it was who, how, they, how the corporate breaks down who HBO Max is for and who Discovery Plus is for. Did you guys see this? Are any of you aware of it? Oh my God. <laughs> it sounds like somebody has. So HBO Max, I'll give you guys the bullet points here. Mail skew scripted, lean in, appointment viewing, home of quote-unquote fandoms, Discovery Plus, female skew, unscripted, lean back, comfort viewing, and home of quote-unquote genre dumps. All this dirty laundry being aired about this merger and this company. And the funny thing is, a lot of people liked HBO Max. It was a solid streamer. It had a good user interface. It was one of the few that had tons of classic movies. There's a lot of old stuff on there because they have the Wait, TCM library. So, uh, man, I have really been... They're getting <laughs> you want to back up the train for a second? They're getting Sorry. rid of HBO Max? <laughs> it's, it's basically, I yeah. Thought, I thought Charles was just being <laughs> hyperbolic. Um, no. no, so that it's only just came out today. The, the, the HBO Max going away thing is a today thing. So a lot what? of this news you're catching up from last week, this morning, it came out that Zaslav was like, oh yeah, by next summer, there's going to be a merger of HBO Max and Discovery streaming into one streamer and said something that seemed to imply that the HBO Max branding might not survive the merger. I don't remember the exact phrasing, but I was like, wait, what? No, but HBO Max is the good branding. It just what are you got here. About? We just got here and we just started to like it. It's HBO good. Max it's, is by yeah. far my favorite <laughs> streaming platform. It's by far That's, the one I use the most. Male that, skewed. Lean in. But <laughs> I listen to it. You are I not leaning too. in. 
TikTok. Yeah, that's the thing that's so annoying about it. I know so obviously it's always like this, right? But it's definitely the male skew, female skew is the most offensive aspect of this, I think. But just that there are so many people of so many different kinds that like what HBO Max was doing, like their scripted content, like that they involve, you know, all these big libraries of movies. Warners and, and the TCM library are huge. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah, there's yeah. I mean, me as the old school person, that's what I was just depressed about with this. But I, I just, everything about this is like the streamer model is getting just crazy. Like, what's going to happen? Are we coming down to where we're getting to the like, there's just going to be two, you know? It's well, it, the whole well, event was nuts. The thing that's relevant most of all about this to filmmakers for me is, well, I mean, there's a bunch of things. First off, somebody put it really well where it's like, this changes every negotiation we ever make forever with a streamer because the idea that you can yes. sign up and do a movie and you're in the middle of the movie and the streamer could be like, I don't know, things have shifted. We're not even going to release it. Changes everything. And like now people with power are going to be much more invested. You know, if, if you're a Chris Nolan or Scorsese, you're going to be pay a lot more attention to the contract terms of like, it getting actually released. But if you're lower on the total and pull doing your first project with a streamer, like, you know, it might specifically be in your contract that like, we're under no obligation to release this. And you're like, well, that sucks. But beyond that, there's already talk of up to 70% staff layoffs at HBO Max. That was the thing in the article I was reading today. That's and it's like, it's so crazy to me because I have a friend at HBO and I remember like five years ago or whatever, when AT&T bought HBO, AT&T came in and said, all right, guys, so we love everything you do. You guys are the best. You're HBO. We want to do everything you're doing, but we want to do about seven times as much. And at the time, I laughed because I was like, that's impossible. Like all the care and effort and time, like you can't just flip a switch and be like seven times as much of the same thing. Like creative work is not a factory where you can just be like, well, let's have seven more factories for sneakers, please. But the motherfuckers did it. Like mm -hmm. HBO is continuing to do a tremendous volume of good stuff. And like this year alone, between Irma Vep and Winning Time and Station Eleven and all the, like they have so many. And I was like, I literally was like, I can't Don't believe forget the rehearsal up, with Nathan Fielder. Oh my God. They <laughs> upped volume. Yeah, that's the only thing my Twitter is about these days. It's like that it's genius. And the Northrop Grumman YA writer is like the entirety of my Twitter discourse these days. But motherfucker, they did it. They ramped up production volume with quality like they should like it, this should be a fucking business school case study and the result of that they did the thing and the result is ATP is like i'm going to sell you to discovery in some deal that was apparently brokered in the hamptons over golf i was reading in the new york times which is like of course of well course. the question is what was their subscriber retention or were they able to increase subscribers as they increased quality and i, I don't think that I don't know oh, of a ahead. single person who doesn't like HBO Max that has it. I, I this is very confusing. Yeah, it's 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 really frustrating, and I think a lot of it boils down to at least from where we sit, because we are we don't have a ton of privileged knowledge here about all of this. But from where we sit, and what I think is that it takes a lot. Look, like I said, it's not really the get rich quick money making industry. It takes a lot of money. And a lot of talent, which is kind of this big X factor, like a black box talent, mm -hmm. to create great scripted content over and over and over again. But it doesn't take a lot of money or a lot of talent to churn out reality stuff that people will watch. It's like low barrier for entry in terms of like cost. So I think from a business model, if you're somebody like 
the CEO and you're like, look, I got this thing. I got this Ferrari. God, it runs great. Like, but you got to take such good care of it and you got to spend all this time on the engine and you got to give it the right fuel and you got to tweak it after every ride. And I've got this other thing that I can just put on the road every single day. And I never have to spend anything on tuning it up and it never breaks down. And like, I'm going to drive that thing forever, you know? And I think that that like somewhere in that metaphor is what we're, what we're watching happen is that from a, just a volume business standpoint, like, and I'm again, like, I don't know. It's just my, me reading the tea leaves and seeing what happens here. But like so many people saw this thing with Batgirl, like more to the story for, like Charles said, for filmmakers, having it in a contract that like, what's going to happen to it? Where's it going to go? Will I ever get a copy of it? Will there, will I ever like be able to show anybody what I did? The directors of Batgirl were like at a wedding or at one of their weddings, I think, when they found out. Oh and my God. oh fuck. Yeah. And and there was <laughs> one of <laughs> Right, exactly. And one I, of them we, we need a drop. Like I wish we had that where like I could hit a button and have Charles go, oh, oh fuck. fuck. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'll ask the editors to put that on a, the soundboard for us. I go. didn't know you guys didn't know that. I threw it out there casually, but that was one of these other things that came out uh. and just the the tweet storm of all information flying out about all of this. Also, their stock like tanked during this. I'm sure they'll recover over time, but like it was such a bad like look, like everything about it and how it came out. But I was going to say for the filmmaker real quick, what happened to this movie they made? Like he released, he, one of them released a picture of Michael Keaton on set in the bat suit, which was like, it was a whole big thing. They got Michael Keaton back in the bat suit for this movie, which a lot of people were very excited about. And Michael Keaton's like legit. Like everybody, this is not some little fly by night <laughs> thing that they were like, nah, like we're not gonna, we're not gonna release it after all. Well, like, we need it, to release the Batgirl cut. Yeah, but like that's that. <laughs> yeah, that's, let's get, we gotta get some bots involved. Yeah, guys. let's get some bots talking about this. I that just instantly wrote this whole comedy sketch where the officiant at the wedding was like looking at his phone before the wedding. Yes. And and he, he gets to the for better or for worse part of, of what he said. And he like looks, you know, he's like, seriously, for, for better or for worse. <laughs> <laughs> Cause, well, but cause even better news. still, if they had written personal vows and there were like second meanings to the vows that like had double meanings in the Batgirl thing, if one of the <laughs> two people in the vows is like, and I vow to always follow through on all of my commitments to you. <laughs> and, you know, some oh, executive man. is in the audience just sweating. I just hope nobody told him, but obviously someone did. Sorry. <laughs> like, imagine being there and being like, oh, we can't. Yeah, like, let's for just tell them tomorrow. At least for that day, let them have their day. And then, but it does feel very reactive. And what's interesting is this is a little bit of a sidebar, but when I worked in tech advertising, I was at Google and I was all like, scale, 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 let like reach as many people as you can, blah, 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 in ways that ultimately aren't, aren't very meaningful and are very problematic as we learned, you know, eight years <laughs> later. Uh, but then I went to the Wall Street Journal and I remember being, it was like a culture shock where I was like, what do you mean you don't want to reach like a zillion people, as many eyeballs as you can. And it was it was at a time where like obviously print journalism was suffering. But over the course of that time, they grew their subscribership. And it's like a pricey thing. And it just shows that people are willing to pay for like quality content. And I will caveat that doesn't include the editorial side of the Wall Street Journal, just the news reporting. But it was fascinating, such a lesson to 
me as sort of this person who was looking for like instant gratification with business decisions and uh, not understanding the sort of like what the loss is or, or what you're sacrificing or what you're uh, creating in the case of digital advertising. And I, I wish business would sometimes just slow down a little bit. Like, why are we reacting to quarterly stock performance, market performance, especially when like, look at how ha- uh, th- of this poll, if I'm polling the four of us, we are 100% happy with our HBO Max experience. And Todd is still very shocked by yeah, this. I'm, I'm just like, I'm just like where, where am I going to rewatch Larry Sanders' show for the 18th time? I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> so much I just uh, started stuff, watching yeah. it on HBO Max. Oh, did you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, this is... Uh, it just kind of... The thing that's funny, too, is like these sort of things, like within... I don't know. Like... Within three months, all the people who made this decision are going to get fired uh, or they're going to move <laughs> to some other company. And like, you know, it's just like, it's th- this sort of stuff is so stupid. You're absolutely right, Gigi. It's like, just calm down, everyone. Like people like HBO Max. You don't have to put out Dune every time. You can, you can, you know, like we can have some, you know, Scoob 2 going on and um, yes. everything's going to be okay. Like... Like it, it really like so much of I, seriously. I just want to know like where are all the you know because I, I want to watch Station Eleven again. I want to watch. Yeah. I had a lot of stuff that I was watching, so it's just like I'm well, like. Well, I mean, those aren't guys are blowing away, my mind. I didn't, but those are going to get rolled into a service like that's going to be like HBO Discover HBO or something, and there's going to be less money. Like, not that there's a Station Eleven season two, although I would fucking watch it because season one rocked. But like, yeah, there's going to be a lot less of the budget for HBO properties as they look at the overall thing. I mean, the thing that really drives me nuts, I was listening to an interesting podcast lately where a business professor was talking about, like, there's this fantasy we all have that combining companies is going to solve all of these problems and save us all of this money. And the truth of the matter is, even seemingly complementary businesses sometimes do much better independently. And so, like, a couple years ago, eBay spun off PayPal. And everybody's like, why are you doing that? And the truth of the matter is PayPal has been a much more successful business separated from eBay. And like, obviously, eBay kept stock in PayPal, right? Like, that's part of spinning it off is we still own a substantial part of it. But like, you're now a separate business and we're not always trying to find ways to combine what we do. And we're doing great and you're doing great. And separately, we are worth more than we were worth together. And this fantasy of like, I'm going to buy companies like AT&T realized that they made a mistake buying HBO. Because whatever fantasy they had that like a phone company owning a stream, like owning a content production company was going to like result in all these savings was dumb. And we knew that from 30 Rock in 2006, making jokes about it. Uh, Devin Banks plan for celebrity snuff content for your phone. And they, but instead of spinning it off, it's more profitable for them to sell it to another company. And now Discovery is like, ooh, we're going to have all of these savings because we do the same thing. We make content. But Discovery, you don't make the same content HBO does. And what really needs to happen is somebody just needs to spin HBO out to being its own little company with its own little subscriber base, and everybody would be happy. Because Discovery and HBO don't make the same stuff. They just don't. Even Warner's and HBO are strange bedfellows in a way. I mean, it. there's so many ways in which these things like eating each other, which goes to the idea, like Todd was sort of, and Gigi both, you suggesting that like slow it down it's like it's a it's a shark as a predator it's like a shark 
where it's like, it, if it's not eating, it's not surviving. Like it's moving and it's eating. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just, that's the like consume more and like don't, it, it's not, it doesn't have like peripheral vision or whatever. I mean, I think sharks do, but my metaphor is getting screwed up now. But the point is like, it, 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 we need we need to have like, it needs to be a slower, like thoughtful process where you find that there are many audiences and there are lots of ways to target them. And the split isn't male skew, female skew. It's more like there's more intelligent ways to target different people and have high success rate. And you could have, I'm, I mean, I'm not like, I'm not a genius, but I, I know that the big, big audience out there that's like four quadrants or whatever cuts up so many ways and you can find such success. This is what's happening in places like YouTube and TikTok and everything else by like nichifying and being like, well, there's a, there's a massive ocean of content, right? And there's so many ways to be successful within that framework. Not just like who can hit that massive ocean every single time. That seems like a crazy way to approach this era to me. Because we can't all be Disney. Like Disney can do it, right? Apple can do it. Disney, like for Disney, I believe like, yeah, the smart move is to buy the Marvels of the world because you're big enough to do it and you bring them under your tent and you don't have to create new great stuff. I mean, you do, but you buy a, a great stuff creating machine or a successful stuff creating machine. Like you can, you know, and, and then just keep them going. But for most of these companies, I feel like the smart move is like, just keep hitting your niche over and over again, you know? Okay, so on the slowdown front, I have some breaking news that is amazing that is literally happening today. So apparently, Warner Brothers prepaid for the stage and the musicians on Scoob Holiday Hunt. Yes, Scoob Holiday Hunt. <laughs> and so they are today continuing to record the score because they were paid to do it, even though the film has been canceled. So literally in Los Angeles right now, there are musicians in a stage making a score for a movie that will never be released, which I think is incredibly cool. But it also tells you how poorly planned this whole fucking thing was where like, you know, people are like, well, you've already paid me, so I guess I'll still record the score. I suspect they also record some other stuff today. And I suspect their standards yeah. for how perfect to take they're going to need before they move on are going to change. But uh, yeah. This reminds me of an aphorism. We were talking about aphorisms and sayings earlier. This is a good one that I find is so true about the entertainment industry. The right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing so often. Like the decision upstream to, to just can it. Like how did, like, I, it's just a part of the loss, right? But it's still absurd that it's, yeah, well, you know, they can go ahead and record it. Oh, they're, they're still going to record it, I guess. Like, because the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Like, that's, that's wasteful. If your idea is to not be wasteful, you know what I mean? Like, there, there's, there's got to be a better way. It's like, I just, uh, yeah. just want to shout out Hulu. Because Hulu has, <laughs> has kind of quietly always just been really solid. And no one really ever complains about Hulu. And Hulu has really good originals. They don't really do as much on the movie side, really. Not, not at least that I'm aware of. But like, they acquire movies, like Palm yeah, Springs. yeah. You can watch movies for sure. But it's like, I mean, like The Bear. Um, I watch like, I watch a t like. There's like eight different shows I'm actively watching on on Hulu right now, and they've kind of never really changed that much. Like, it, and they they were kind of like one of the earlier. Like, it was like them and Netflix well, at the jump, right? Just just gonna throw it out there because this is a great example of what I was talking about. Hulu is owned by Disney, 
and oh. and Disney just lets Hulu continue to run its thing. Like they're a part, they're a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company, and they don't they didn't like do a whole They've not big been like smooshed into Disney Plus. Right, exactly. And they weren't also like, hey, we're going to talk about what makes Hulu different than Disney+. Plus. Hulu is for, like, you know, black people drive like this. <laughs> it's like they didn't do a whole <laughs> dumb thing that, like, pissed everybody off. They're, they're silently acquiring a quality thing. And they're like, eh, and do it. Do your thing, ESPN. Do your thing, Hulu. And secretly, you know, they're doing dirty stuff. They're bad, like every business has to be. <laughs> but, like, but like, I'm not saying, like, they're good guys. But I'm just saying they're... They're doing it in a way that's not like, and stock tanked because the CEO made this absurd announcement and they canceled everything in the Hulu pipeline, you know? Like, there's an obvious model here. And it's not yeah. what they did. <laughs> you could have just bought HBO Max and let it keep doing its thing, which is going well. Instead, oh my God, I would love a Hulu slide that's like, Hulu dials the phone like this. <laughs> <laughs> right. By the way, what, like, do they, what do they mean by lean in? What is that? I think they mean on your couch. I think they mean think, like yeah. you're engaged because it demands something of you versus it's very it's You can be on your sexist. phone watching passively. <laughs> right. Yeah. So they're, they're like basically it's discovery is kind of self in, it's kind of a self neg where it's like <laughs> discovery you can you leave it on the background while you take a poop or you drink <laughs> a wine but like HBO you pay attention. Right. That, it, like it's a burn, basically. It's a burn and it's sexist, like I said, because that's like guys like to watch something that's interesting and they're engaged in and women just want to kick back and don't care. Can women even dumb. pay attention to a TV show? <laughs> Can they wait, focus? wait, I have to tell you guys, I do sometimes turn on The Bachelor on Hulu and I do work. <laughs> At the same time. So I guess that's leaned back, kicked back, <laughs> ladies watching things. But I'm also like, uh, I love Station Eleven too. So screw <laughs> them for putting me in a box. I want to be See, in both we, the boxes. I think I we are all 30 in Rock in, in the background while cooking. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I feel like Comfort, both genders yeah. are capable of leaving television on in the background. I think that's like the full, not even both genders, all genders. Let's say. I, I bet there are trans people who leave television on in the background and not pay attention <laughs> yeah. to it. So there's a whole spectrum of tuning out to TV, and that's the thing. And it's okay. I mean, they could have said, like, we have lots of different things for all types of viewing experiences <laughs> instead of trying to divide it up by gender. Like, one of the biggest, like, most unwieldy, like, let's just chop everybody into these two boxes and just say what they are. It just feels... Like a really bad move. And like you just said about HBO Max, yeah, they could have they could have just pruned it in the background. They could have slowly moved it around and tried what they wanted to try and maybe done they didn't have to do all this big loud like amputations that were just like, oh my God, what are you doing? Like that's a living body. You're just slicing up. I also I just want to go back to the fact that like it must be so frustrating to work there and be like we pulled it off. Like we did it. We ramped up production and it's still good. Because yeah. the most realistic thing that would have happened is that they did seven times the amount of content and 90% of it was fucking garbage. And like, we see how people feel emotionally about Netflix and the number of tweets and memes I see about like, I, I went to Netflix to watch something and it was only garbage and I went somewhere else. Like that is like a thing. But HBO did it. And it must be so frustrating yeah. to have your reward for pulling it off to be get to get sold to somebody who clearly doesn't care. Like, it, that that's got to suck for the people who pulled this off. Like that's got to feel so shitty. 
Let's take a moment to acknowledge them and thank them for the things they mm. made us feel. Moment of silence for. <laughs> yeah. All right, maybe I had too much empathy for people who work for big corporations, but I, I don't know. It just no, no, because it's it, like the state does reckon, or the the government does recognize corporations as people too. I believe that's true. That's <laughs> so, true. but no, I because I've been at the corporation working so hard to make something come to life, and then had the big sort of sweeping hand of the left hand doing its own thing, <laughs> just completely wipe it out. And I'm like, well, there goes nine months of my life. I mean, I yeah. to say nothing I mean, of the the other thing about this that we'll, we'll come back to again is that there's filmmakers who made a big old movie. And I'm not just talking about Scoob too or whatever. <laughs> like, that's just so hard to, as a filmmaker, your heart goes out, right? I mean, everybody's, like, on the other hand, like, oh, yeah, well, they got to do their dream. They got to make a Batgirl movie. They got money in the bank, like, whatever. But, like, that's the huge, that's, like, such a huge thing uh, to have it out in the world and see what happens and how to, to now be known as, like, the Batgirl movie that you'll never see, that nobody will also, ever see. How is it going to affect that Batgirl's career? Like, is it going to hurt her that the movie didn't come out? Like, you know, we, we frequently talk about like actors navigating their career and the decisions you make and making the decision to be Batgirl is like giving up a year of your life where you could be doing other things to now do a movie that no one will ever see. And when you are in meetings, will people just think of you as the Batgirl that never was like, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a whole mess. Yeah. So is there like no chance at all that like five years from now, they'll be able to work something out probably like, I mean, I think the most likely scenario is if they anger North Korea, North Korean hackers will hack in and get the movie. And we know is, North Korea is a huge fan of Irma Vep, so. So, yes. So if they if they won't do a second Irma Vep, I think. I mean, I shouldn't joke about that either because I have friends who were at Sony when Sony got hacked by North Korea. And, like, it really impacted their lives. Like, they still have credit. Like, they still have to deal with, like, credit monitoring agencies and stuff because all of yeah. their social security numbers were on the internet. But, yeah. I mean, I think a hacker is the most likely scenario. Otherwise, if you take the write-off, you're saying we're never going to release it. It's a done, done product. So once they've taken that write-off, they would have to untake it later to release it. All right, moving on to another movie. I actually am really glad we're finally talking about this because there's this thing with movie podcasts where you're always trying to talk before the thing comes out, and then you can't really talk spoilers or whatnot. And like, Nope has been out for two or three weeks, but now enough of us have seen it to talk about it. And Nope is motherfucking good, and it's relevant to filmmaking. And so every filmmaker owes themselves an obligation to go see Nope. So why is Nope particularly relevant to filmmaking? There are obviously films about filmmaking out there, right? Day for Night, uh, The Truffaut is one of the best. There's a bunch of others. Contempt is very good as well. This isn't necessarily a film about filmmaking, or at least in the traditional cliche version of like, a director pursuing their passion against all eight odds. Eight and a half, right. It's not eight, eight, and, eight and, half. and a half. This is not about two people trying to get Batman Batgirl released and fighting executives. <laughs> if you're looking for that, Irma Vep is that, and it's really good, and it's an amazing ad for Small HD, and you should all go watch Irma Vep because I really enjoyed it. it I'd Irma love Vep to see Fellini fun. tackle the guys trying to get Batgirl released. I mean, I'd love to see Fellini's <laughs> streaming series. I'd be really curious, but maybe yeah, maybe yeah. another time. We'll get an AI to do that. Although the the current Twitter project is trying to get an AI to recreate Orson Welles giving takes on current events. Yeah. And uh, I'm really, I would really love, uh, you know, my comfort food is watching Orson Welles on Dick Cavett. That's like what I go to when I need to go to sleep at night. <laughs> I love and it. like, if I could just have an Orson Welles on Dick Cavett, like spouting off about Trump or anything, I would, I would be so happy. 
Back to the topic of no. It, this is a film that attempts a bigger task in my mind, which is it's about marginalized film workers, in this case, animal wranglers, and about the precarity of their lives. It's also about black cowboys. It's also about UFOs. But it's also about, I mean, there's a character who is called the cinematographer. His name is Antlers, which is a great name, <laughs> yeah. the cinematographer. Yes. He is a cinema, like he is very much, we've all worked with this DP and maybe been this DP a little bit. And it's about fame and the concepts of what makes us famous and why we pursue that and what we are hoping to get from it and the fantasies it brings us. It's also about PTSD. It has like mm. one of the most accurate portrayals of a character with PTSD I've ever seen in Youp and the mistakes that the PTSD leads him to. It's also just fucking fun as shit and beautifully shot by Hoyt von Hoytema. So what, what are the relevant IMAX. lessons for filmmakers? I mean, there is so much about this film that comes from understanding film history. Like the yeah. reason this story resonates so much is Jordan Peele has clearly done a ton of research about the history of cinema. And I think that's a good reminder for filmmakers. It takes its cue from that idea of self-reflexivity with cameras. And there is so much right off the bat in this movie of like what the camera sees, what the camera does to what it sees. And the monster in question is kind of a camera in itself. Like it's like yeah. pointing down and, and it looks and it's framed in such a way. It's, it's whatever it's sucking device. Like there's so much about it that is like immediately related to, uh, I, th I think the very beginning starts with the kind of mechanism of the monster and framed within it is that the horse, which Jordan Peele has created his own. I, I forget what that film clip is called by. Oh, Moybridge. Yeah, Moybridge's, Edward Moybridge's horse, man on horse. An enemy that is, of a horse? Yeah, that, that's the first thing, right? And it's actually like it was done at Stanford, up in Northern California. There's a statue there. Peel has done his own, invented his own history, that it was a black cowboy and it's the ancestor of our characters starring in this movie. And that connects other dots. But there's a whole thing here. Like, if you like stuff that goes deep, this movie goes deep with symbols and layers and meanings. And there's all kinds of stuff about what cameras do to situations when you turn them on and how fame is a like a all-encompassing destroyer of worlds and also about how cameras relate to race and racism and surveillance and how things that aren't captured don't exist or like how only what can be seen and captured exists there's just so much packed into this movie and i think Talking about it is interesting. In some ways, maybe whatever we talk about with this movie reflects, it's kind of like we're a canvas, like we're whatever we're feeling. But also from a, just a creation standpoint, there aren't a lot of people out there privileged enough to make a movie where they're musing like Jordan Peele is on these deep topics, right? But it's such a beautiful thing to behold. When, when someone can do it and tries to do it, Maybe the scale won't always be IMAX with Alien Invasion, like he went big, because he can. But we can all make movies, I think, about topics that we feel are, are interesting and layered and make them entertaining. And he has done that. Whether you love the finished product or not, I think that's something so worthy of highlighting whenever it happens in this very challenging, like as we just outlined in our first segment, industry. Like this industry makes it so hard to survive and be seen. And you can even do everything right and make a Batgirl movie, right? Wouldn't you think that would be the thing that would make it easiest like to cut through the noise and then you're just buried? 
So despite, so all that, keeping all that in mind, like going out and trying to say, I have something cool I want to talk about in my movie, but I want to entertain people too. That is truly threading the needle. And so, you know, kudos to the people who made this movie for doing that and trying to do it. I think it's just a worthy thing to undertake. But as far as understanding the industry, and there's a whole scene that takes place, a pivotal early scene on set with, you know, your usual caricatures of people on set and interactions of people on set and who's invisible on set, you know, a black person in a crew, all that. So it is, is in there. So I, I think it's really interesting and worthy of, of examination. Yeah, I mean, I think I, what y'all pretty much said it all. I think it's absolutely, from a visual perspective, honestly, kind of some of uh, my favorite of Hoyta's work. I think anyone who's seen it will agree, like those are probably the best nighttime exteriors I think I've ever seen in my life. Well, you know how they did the night exteriors, right? Well, I know, I've, I've heard some rumors, but they, they haven't, officially release the actual like because they I, I know they did some stuff with infrared so they merged infrared imagery somehow in yeah. to kind of uh brighten up the right areas of the scene but they all sh- they shot them as daytime exteriors and used the infrared stuff to basically convert it in a way that i don't think has ever been done charles do you have any no, more it's info cooler than that there's an article now that just came out on the kodak blog so they used a 3d rig so basically, with a 3D camera rig, you have to have two cameras that can see basically the same thing. Like it's a giant mirror rig. And so they, but with a 3D camera rig, you can also make the two cameras see the exact same thing. They're shoot, both shooting into a beam splitter. And if you align them right, they see the exact same image. And so on this film, they had a 65 millimeter or IMAX film camera shooting one angle, shooting the primary angle. And then they infrared converted an Alexa 65. So they had a 65 millimeter film image and then a digital image from the Alexa 65 with the same lenses shooting the same image through a beam splitter. So they were identical images. And then they took the infrared data from the digital and they used it to process the film image to give us, it's the most beautiful day for night I've ever seen. Like day for night is usually not a thing I think works. And obviously they do stuff to help here. It's outside in a desert. So you don't have to worry about building lights. They clearly digitally add stars to some shots. They digitally add some other lights. But holy fuck, none of that shit matters. It's goddamn beautiful day for night. It's perfection of day for night. They cracked it. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Peel is just a master of kind of doing just just getting the points across in in almost every single moment. I feel like it's one of those movies that I can watch again and again and kind of pick up a new thing that he was trying to do. There, there's no wasted decisions. I think. I, I just really think it's cool that he's able to do it in my opinion in a way that doesn't ever feel heavy-handed and keeps you kind of like picking it apart and trying to figure out what what the meaning behind certain moments are and stuff like that it's yeah so it's just like one of those things where it just felt so good to be in a theater watching a movie like that again it was also it's really funny because there was a trailer right before it for a horror movie in which someone's staying in an airbnb and in the middle of the night, they like go to the basement and they find a mysterious door and they yeah. use their flashlight oh, yeah, to I walk down too. the alley. And I'm like, you know, they're playing on the joke of like someone doing something they would never do. But like, even in the trailer, I was like, I kind of don't care to see this movie because I'm like, you're dumb. Yeah. Like, you're dumb. There's no reason. I don't care. You're dumb. I'm out. But like every single character in Nope is making smart, well-motivated decisions where I'm like, I know why you're making that choice. I understand, and I think you are smart, and I think you are doing the correct thing in this moment to have made that decision. And like, 
it's such a better horror movie for that. At every time, I'm like, yep, you're very smart. I respect that choice. And like, it makes it so much more engaging and rewarding an experience. Such an interesting point. Because I thought you were saying like, this movie's dumb. I'm done with it. But because <laughs> when I was watching that trailer, I was laughing. My, my wife was like, this is horrifying. And I was laughing because I was like, this is so ridiculous. Something about most horror makes me laugh because it feels so over the top. But I think what felt over the top about that to me was just the very initial call. Just like, I'm going to wander down this super creepy cave in this house I've never been in before. It's like, it's already yeah. comedy to me. Like, so everything after that becomes a part of that, falls into that absurdity. But yeah, Nope. Nope is comedy in a different way because Jordan Peele's hilarious. Like, I, I, he's one of the funniest people and like his comedy stuff to me is all genius. So I'm always looking for his comedy. But there's comedy in Nope for sure. But it's not comedy built around the absurdity of what people are doing because you're right. It's such an underrated or underexplored skill to motivate your characters in a way that feels authentic and normal. I don't even, even forgetting smart or like, like everybody's actions seem to stem from something like, no, I get it. Even the absurd actions. I get it. I get why, why this character is trying to monetize this crazy thing. I, there's backstory, there's explanation, there's motivation, there's everything is sort of built in and you just flow with it. Like you go along with each crazy thing they do because you're on board with their their process and their humanity in a way that, that very easy to say, very hard to do. One thing, just because Todd mentioned it, I spoke to the editor of Nope and we were talking about how there's so much meaning like swirling around and we all think about it and pick it apart. And if that's part of the process with Jordan Peele, and he said that it was sort of always part of the process, but they don't get too deep into those conversations. He just likes to start those conversations in all his collaborators' minds so they kind of know these are the topics we're kind of dancing around. These are the things we're talking about. But nobody's going to go out there and be like, everything means this. This is what XYZ mean. I've decoded the movie. Like, there's, there's a playfulness, I think, a little bit with it. Like, we want to have issues and stuff we're doing, but we don't want to get like nailed down to it and be over the top and hit it too heavy, you know? Which is also so hard to do. I mean, come on. It's like, again, threading this crazy needle. Everything about this movie. But I like anytime there's a movie where somebody goes out of their way, creates some kind of very original thing and pulls it off, I think that is worthy of recognition, you know? Not to, I mean, just hearing you guys talk about the visuals. It's, the sound was was awesome. Oh, yeah. Like, it's just this movie was an experience, technically. Sound design is getting like out of control good these days. It's, yeah, it's, it, I remember 20 years ago, there was like average sound design on 90% of movies and then like one or two movies a year would have someone like Frank Serafini doing genius level work. And now I'm like, I kind of expect my average movie or frankly, my average TV show, the sound design on The Bear, phenomenal. And you're like, Ah, this is a thing we've just gotten better at as an industry. Right. What do you guys think has happened or changed that's like opened that up? Because it really does feel like sometimes it's, I, it was always its own art form. Don't get me wrong. But it really feels like it's becoming a much bigger piece of the puzzle. It just, fe- yeah, it just feels like people are crushing it. Like I, in a way that, and I don't know if it's the quality of the theaters we're in or, uh, or our at home stuff. 
Yeah, it's we can hear it's a better listening experience across the board now. I mean, we used to go to theaters to have our like worlds shaken by dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. Now we can feel that at home with like a, a, just a Sonos bar. The tech is there in a way that it wasn't before. Yeah, absolutely. Like I th- I think it's just, you know, the the speak like the speakers are like even just like normal theaters now, ones that have been upgraded even slightly like the the speakers are just better. Like I mean like shoot, I just got I finally broke down and bought a pair of AirPods. I'd been avoiding it for years, but I went ahead and got some and like I put those in my ear. I'm like, "Holy shit, these things sound incredible." Like I I had no idea that earbuds were sounding this good now. Like so I, yeah, I think it's just 100% that and then even really just, you know, the the types of um, effects and things like just literal like VSTs that you can use on sounds now are just, there's so many options and cool things you can do with sound. And there's like, um, what is it? What is it? Ambisonic uh, microphones. So th- these are like microphones that re- record in all different directions. So when you're doing your Foley, you can make things sound like they're coming from specific speakers, but you still get the the reverberation from other uh, other sides. Like, you know, there's just a lot of, you know, just like everything else, the the sound tech has progressed in the same way that cameras have or anything else. And I mean, between Nope and like Dune and some parts of like the Batman, um, I think we've we're we've heard the best sound that's like ever happened in the, this last year. I also think that this is again a little I think I'm the queen of the sidebars here, but when it comes to audio storytelling, like we have yet to hear the best audio feature or or show podcast because I think historically people have been approaching it in a more sort of like cinematic way in a less subtle way. But I think as I think there will be sort of this like connection and growth and change uh, across both film and podcasting when it comes to sound because like there are sounds in storytelling that have are being figured out as we speak, probably in the Scooby-Doo orchestra room right now because they're just playing around. <laughs> I just got to say, though, I, I would love a spinoff movie about Gordy, the chimpanzee. I would, I, I kind of want to watch, th- I want to watch the rest of his saga for sure. Yeah, oh, I really don't. I really don't. <laughs> uh, and with Fair that, enough. let's wrap it up. I'm on the internet at Charles Hayne. I got a YouTube channel. I do YouTube stuff. I do Twitter stuff. CharlesHayden.com, H-A-I-N-E. I'm Todd Blankenship. I also do YouTube stuff and all that stuff. And you can find me at Am I a Filmmaker on both YouTube and Instagram. I'm Gigi Hawkins. I watch YouTube stuff, but I just do social media stuff at Lost in Graceland everywhere. And my video stuff is on my website, ggihawkins.com. Do you lean into YouTube stuff or do you lean out of YouTube <laughs> oh, stuff? Oh, God, that is the question. I'll have to report back next week after I understand my habits and can put myself in a box a little bit more. <laughs> And I'm George Edelman, Editor-in-Chief at No Film School. You can read about everything we talked about today and more at nofilmschool.com. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. And send us your questions, editor at nofilmschool.com. We love to answer them on this podcast, which comes out every Thursday. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, check us out on Instagram and YouTube. And thanks so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs>